Hello and welcome to Better Than The Movie. I am Jeanette, she is Tamika, and we are here talking books. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. Good, glad to hear Still blessed, still slightly favored. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing all right, you know, stressed as usual, but you know God's got it, so. Oh my God. I don't even know. How many weeks has it been since our last Uh, 52. <laughs> Has it been a long time? I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah, it, it might have been like over a month. So, um, James Letta Patterson has written another book. <laughs> <laughs> has finished and published another book since the last time we spoke. Let's talk about it. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, sure. What's it called? Let's do it. Uh, it's called Then Came You. It is the third in the trilogy this series of books is complete i will not be writing about these people any longer (laughs) word what's it about allegedly um so it is about um if you read smitten or if you're familiar with smitten the main character in there selena she has an older sister named patricia this book is patricia's story um it is a older woman younger man romance but i don't make their age difference the focus of the story Mm -hmm. um because i just thought that that was kind of whack so um and the issue the issues that they face are more than their age difference so um but it's about these two and they meet in a pretty unconventional way uh no i can't say how um it's really good though it's not unconventional by like modern means but it's unconventional how their relationship begins but nevertheless um so uh these two meet and they have a connection and they go through some things and they eventually end up together at the end because all of my books have a happily ever after no spoilers please <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> yeah, I, I, so there's stuff that i want to talk about in this book with people but i can't talk about it unless you've read it because I, I, I'm interested to know people's reactions to choices I made. We should do something. I mean, you have a book and you have a show about books. And so, you know, let's, let's set it up. But I am super excited and, you know, just in awe of your work ethic and um, your skills because you got skills. And so, yes, we want people to buy and purchase this book, all of the Better Than the Movie family. Um, you can purchase this book at your local Amazon.com Amazon. and, <laughs> um, and purchase the rest of um, Jeanette's books. But it's not, don't search for Jeanette because you're not going to find it. Um, you're not gonna find it you're gonna search for a pen name uh nicole falls it's been a fun ride man it's it it, it's it's been enlightening and eye-opening but super duper as fun i want to be like you one day when i get a job that does not suck the soul the life force from my (laughs) listen this this project that i just put out is my last project of 2017 okay well you know it's Um, september so <laughs> well, realistically, so I'd planned a book a quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I'm gonna make my Q4. Okay. Hello, plans. What are plans? What are goals? 
I'm a hot mess. I don't have anything um, cool to share. I have been parenting. Yet. Yet. I've been parenting and working. Uh, my daughter broke her leg. So, you know, it's like having <laughs> the toddler in the house again. Oh, man. And, you know, just work. And, like, I don't, you know, I can't talk about work on air, but I just want to flip out like Jerry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> Better than the movie fam, please lift our sister Tamika please. in prayer. <laughs> Pray for her steadfast patience. Please. Because I'm just, like, I don't know how people, you know. She fall five seconds from wild. Girl, I don't even know how people, like, get up in the morning and dress themselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, but shout out to all of my coworkers who do got some sense and can do two things at once. It's uh, They're amazing. Anyway, um, let me tell y'all where we're located in case you don't know by now and shout out one more time. I know we haven't done this in a while, but I noticed we, I know we have been incognito for a minute, but we are, we do keep track and informed and in line with our um, Twitter account mostly. And we see people making the recommendations for the show to their friends and talking to us and sending us things. And so we appreciate that. And sometimes it takes us a little bit to get to it because we're both not always on Twitter as much anymore as we used to be. But we definitely see those things. And, you know, um, you can always go to our website. And our website is betterthanthemovie.com. There is a little contact form so you can kind of... You cannot kind of, you can put in your information and your questions or whatever you want to share with us there. And it will come directly to our email, which is probably, um, the best way <laughs> to get to us lately. Um, but still Twitter at better than TM. And then if you are on Facebook, our Facebook page is dead, but that's partially our fault. Um, but you can still send us messages there if you'd like. And it's our put things on our wall there. And it's uh, facebook.com slash better than the movie. You know what? I don't know if our Facebook page is dead or not because I don't know where we're it. But, you know. Yeah. We gotta I don't it. ever really check in either. We we got to get that together. We got to get it popping because I think you Facebook what is very would fun. Help. What? Because um, if Facebook allowed dual sign ins. Oh, yeah. Like how the Twitter apps, I can be signed into multiple accounts on the same one. And like, don't. Well, I. I want to say this in a way that doesn't sound like don't tell me what to do, but please don't suggest that I use Hootsuite or Hootsuite or TweetDeck because I hate both of those applications um, in all of their forms. And so if you have an alternative that is not either one of those, but will let me be logged into three or more accounts simultaneously, because apparently I have a lot of different personalities, um, please hit us up uh, better than movie at gmail.com or like to make say, go to the website, fill out the contact form um, and let us know because I think that's the reason why because I, I don't log out of my Facebook yeah well I don't have a Facebook but Nicole has a Facebook mm-hmm. um, and I just don't log out um, and so if I had an app that let me do dual sign on then I'm pretty sure that I could probably be a bit more interactive on the Better Than a Movie Facebook as well also I'm not entirely sure we have it set up for people to interact with us but that's an offline conversation <laughs> so um, anyway um thank you all for engaging and sharing the show with your friends and all of that jazz um oh there's not a lot of news but it's kind of like a lot of news. like it's dense it's like three things but i'm doing the most okay so pajiba.com we have it listed here as well this is the title of the article is did this book buy its way onto the new york times bestseller list i believe nakia 
from yes, Zoratani, Nakia Zoratani Maya sent this to yeah. us and said, please discuss this on your next show. And though we are about a month late on this, yes, we will be discussing it. <laughs> We're not always on time. <laughs> <laughs> but we still got thoughts and opinions on it. <laughs> not about the appointed time. It's the anointed time. Come through, come through. Okay, so um, this <laughs> is kind of interesting. Because I think I said this before and everybody thought I was crazy, but I am a conspiracy theorist. And so I'm used to that reaction. (laughs) (laughs) So basically. um, There was this book, Handbook for Mortals. (laughs) Um, Oh, my gosh. I need to find this author's name. She's Louise. Lani Lani Serum. Uh Um, and so she was the number one YA bestseller for approximately 22 and a half hours a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, knocking out um, uh-huh. yep. Thug by Angie Thomas. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Um, <laughs> and like seemingly coming out of nowhere with like no buzz, no coverage on any sort of blogs or booktube or anywhere on the book internet. Nobody knew about her. The publisher um, was like a brand new publisher and it was just ridiculous, right? So everybody, of course, flipped the fuck out because The Hate You Give has been the number one book for like 43 and a half weeks or something like that. And so for this unknown book to just come through and storm on the scene and knock them out was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Of course, people did their investigations because they're like, hold on, girl, like nobody even knows you. You don't even go here. How are you number one? Mm-hmm. And so um, what was found out essentially was that these people were placing orders at New York T- Times bestseller list reporting bookstores. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would place them to be like 10 or so beneath a bulk order. So they count towards individual sales for the overall sales numbers that drive how the books are um, categorized, you know, one to however many mm-hmm. on the New York Times bestseller list. And so um, the book didn't have a lot of reviews. There was, like I said, there was no, nobody knew anything about it. Um and I guess on BookScan, um, the book had sold like eight or it had 18,000 sales in a week, which is highly ridiculous because like the number one book on the New York Times bestseller list usually sells about 5,000 copies. Yeah. Um, so for somebody to be unknown to come out of nowhere and then allegedly sell 18,000 copies, everybody was like, hmm, this is hinky. Um, and so... Yeah, it just turned into a ridiculous amount of bullshit. And apparently the um, the book is going to be optioned for a film, allegedly starring its author. And the dude who's producing it is um, the little nerdy dude from the American Pie movies. Oh, yeah. Which is super random. Okay, sure. <laughs> and so... Um, oh, I was on Twitter last night, and this um, this author and that dude—they've been like doing a book tour, going to different comic cons across the country. And so they were in Madison, Wisconsin, last night doing a book signing at Barnes and Noble, and 
two girls decided to go to the Barnes and Noble and basically detail the whole experience. And like three people showed up for the signing, two of which were people that just wandered over because they were in Barnes and Noble. Um, and apparently the girl who wrote the book and also the American Pie dude were both very fucking weird. Um, and they made inflammatory comments um, about Angie Thomas. Wow. Because uh, the two girls who had decided to just go and basically describe the shit show as it unfolded, they sat and had a conversation with those two for, I think they said like a half an hour. And one of the sound bites that was tweeted from the conversation was, we can't help the fact that Angie Thomas is a black author. So fuck Lanny, fuck American Pie nigga that I don't even know his name. And I don't even care to look on IMDb to figure out what it is. Um, and fuck this payola scheme. <laughs> In a nutshell. So, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot happening, huh? Why? Well, there's what was not that there is any context where it would be okay to say it's not your fault that she's a black woman, black author. But why? What was the rest of the conversation? I don't know. They oh. just gave the little soundbite, and I didn't care to. Right, like uh, I guess the context investigate. is investigate. Is I mean. You would have thought they would have at least given the context, but I mean, yeah. also, like you just said, it's marginally important. So, yeah. Uh, also of note, this girl who wrote this book is the cousin of one Jay-Z Chazé. Oh, girl. You're messing up, messing <laughs> up the church's money. You can't be misrepresenting your kin. Girl, especially because Jay-Z, Jay, Jay-Z, Lord, J.C. tweeted about her book on the day that it was released, which I find hilarious so, because people, yeah. This makes it, me wonder. This takes me back to my original thought that people be lying about. <laughs> I wonder about sales? how many people else, who else has been like a best selling author, supposedly, and then all of a sudden the book, you know, like I don't know nobody that has the book. I've never heard anybody in real life talk about it, but you've been number two on the charts for the last you know, five weeks. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many celebrities do this. I just feel like it's a thing. I definitely believe that it happens. Like, I don't think that these people came up with this. I just think they got caught. Oh, no, they book, the first. Yeah, because their book was so, you know, like nobody ever heard of them or the book. But Exactly. It was super random and they had no, like, literary legs to stand on. Right. But I would not be surprised if Random House Penguin, uh, Scribner... Simon Schuster, whoever else has not done this before for one of their authors. Yeah, like it makes sense. So this goes back to my, you know, I don't really give a shit if your book is the number one New York Times bestseller because I don't trust the media. No, just kidding. I don't trust. (laughs) (laughs) I don't generally like real talk. I don't generally trust most things that are sales. Um like charts you know what i'm saying like billboard charts or those type of things i just don't get them i don't understand how they're calculated i don't there's too much room for like this type of stuff and i don't i won't say i don't like them or i don't trust them but i just don't they don't hold any weight with me like i don't say oh what's on the top of the best sellers list let me go get that sometimes i'll look at it just to see what's out there but that's not how i make my decisions that's not how i determine what's good or what's not because I always just feel like this goes like 
you know, some of your favorite music legends are only music legends because they <laughs> paid somebody to play their records or they, you know, so I just don't get excited about that kind of stuff. And this is why, like, I get it. But what does it do to the New York Times and their bestseller list now that people know that they let this happen or they didn't question it or can they question it? Like so the craziest thing is that I have not seen anybody take the NYT to task about this at all. I mean, if they typically follow the, the rules, what are they going to say? Right. So all of the vitriol has been, spired, been spit directly at this Lanny chick. Mm-hmm. Like, so nobody, nobody has cared to say, hey, technically they could have done this because it falls within the rules. Maybe we should be looking at the rules as well. Yeah. I mean, I because guess I- the way she was able to do this was because she had the on order status. It wasn't even books in store, books in hand. It was the on on order status. So maybe we just don't count books that are not being purchased. Right. Huh. That's because you can't count because it's kind of like how music does. Yeah. Where Pre-orders it's counted by shipping. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. So it's what shipped. So you can ship a million CDs and you go platinum. You don't have to sell a million CDs. You just have to ship them. And especially with all the shit with like streaming and all this mess going on. Oh, I forgot to mention the other funny thing with this uh, whole story. So um, somebody retweeted uh, the American Pie dude on my timeline. And he was like, oh, I'm seeing Handbook for Mortals um, in all these airports on our journey right so and he posted pictures and you can tell that he took the book and placed it on a shelf <laughs> and oh he took God. a picture of it like it was one where it was like next to james patterson and it was just this one lonely copy of handbook for mortals and it was like 50 james patterson books and there was another one when where you could tell it was another book behind the book that he put up there it was just a mess how dumb like and it's probably and it, it could be a really good book and nobody's gonna want to touch it now because why but i don't know people are so ass backwards with the stuff that they say that they're not gonna support and they get so outraged and upset and oh my god i can't believe you did this and then this damn thing will actually be selling <laughs> like hotcakes because people are curious so i don't know i don't know about folks anymore people will spend their money on the craziest stuff that is true oh that is interesting well now i don't trust anything so there you go (laughs) so this next article is titled are book blurbs helpful or harmful do you ever care about blurbs um so when they're talking about blurbs they're talking about like when an author says like this is the best thing right yeah yeah no i don't care like i don't read those (laughs) I feel like I used to. I don't even read synopsis. I feel like I, I used to, like when I was a young, young person, it used to be like, oh my God, so-and-so. So I would always associate, and I don't know where I got this from, that if, if Toni Morrison blurred this book, then it, it must, must be like to, i didn't even think of like oh it must be good i would just be like it must, yeah, like be, it must be like similar her to her work and i think that you know a lot of authors you know they ask people to do them because that's very intentional like if you are a, a person who writes stories about women contemporary stories about women and you ask jennifer wiener to 
do a blurb, then people are automatically going to think like if Jennifer Weiner likes it and I like her books or whatever. So that's how I used to associate it. Like, oh, it's probably in that same style. Well, I got fooled too many times before I realized that that was nonsense. (laughs) Plus, like now I work where I work, I work with, you know, like people in academia and professors and they blurb other books. And I see them. um, I didn't read this book. I'm supposed to turn in the blurb. I'll be gone on Friday. And they kind of (laughs) like rush read it, you know, in the afternoon and then put some stuff together and boom, what's the blurb. So they don't help, but I don't think they hurt. No, I don't think they hurt at all because some people do find value in it. But yeah, like I said, it's just it. I just care about the words on the pages. Like I don't care what nobody else had to say about it because you may love it, and I might read it and be like, eh, "Girl," or <laughs> and I'm going to say this, but I don't want people to take it as me like disparaging myself or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes people will give positive feedback or glowing praise based on the person as a person and Mm -hmm. not the book Mm -hmm. as a form of Mm -hmm. art yeah yeah oh so i think it depends on the person like some things hold a lot of weight whether you know like when tony morrison when she put on the cover of um um kind of he's coats um what's the name of that book uh between the world, between and, the me. world and me girl i was the same <laughs> dreams of, dreams of my father <laughs> <laughs> sorry so between the world and me and she put that thing about baldwin it was like oh girl but i mean sure fair i mean she's tony morrison i just feel like she would give a lot more thought to something like that than most people and that might be my own naivete but i just feel like if she said something that solid she meant it you know what i mean it wasn't just mm-hmm. this is my lip service yeah so i um don't agree with her but i respect her opinion enough to be like okay then there's something to it you know yeah yeah so they don't hurt they don't help they're not my jam but I don't really understand the point of them, but I guess there's, I can see for like crime fiction. No, no, never mind. No, no, I don't know. I think it, for, for me, it would depend more on the author and how much I respect them just in general and their opinions and their opinions and yeah. their integrity. And, and I think it would have a lot to do with whether or not I believe, um, well, yeah, what you just said, their integrity. Sorry, yeah. I heard that and then I was on the delay. <laughs> yeah, like Ta-Nehisi Coates. Well, I'm just going to go back to him. Or even like Tayari Jones. I feel like if Tayari Jones wrote a blurb for somebody, I would feel like that was genuine. Yep. Like I feel like, okay, I can trust what she's saying. And I'm not saying the other authors are just straight up lying, but I don't feel like Ta-Nehisi, I mean, I don't feel like Tayari Jones would write a blurb for a friend that wasn't genuine. Or that she would write a blurb that for a book that she hadn't read. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So it just depends. Tell us what y'all think in the comments below. We're not on YouTube. Tell us what you think <laughs> at Twitter on Twitter. I'm interested. Or SoundCloud comments. Those are things. This last thing is exciting. My favorite, the most wonderful time of the year, the National Book Awards long list. So National Book Awards are kind of hit or miss for me in terms of what I enjoy. <laughs> but lately they've been hit. 
last year. I don't even remember it. I'm not going to lie. They were pretty lit last year. Who won last year? Um, ooh, okay. That's a very good question. I don't remember who won, but I do remember that it was of color. <laughs> Amen. I remember that both of the fiction category, the fiction and the nonfiction, I think, winners were. I was about color. to say Dilemma. Or fiction and poetry. I was about to say Dilemma. Well, Miranda won that shit too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I feel like such a turd right now. So I'm actually going to look up who won the National Book Awards in 2016 because I feel a way. Do you want to know who that. the judges are? Does anybody get Yes. Okay. The judges for the fiction category are Alexander Chi, the author of The Queen of the Night. I have The Queen of the Night. I have not read it. That book description just makes me tired. And I'm sure it's a good book, but it makes me tired. Edinburgh, and he also wrote Edinburgh. Dave Eggers the founder of McSweeney's and the author of A Hologram for the King, amongst other things, Anne Philbrick, the owner of Bank Square Books in Connecticut, Carolina Wallowiak, the author of How to Get into the Twin Palms and the Invaders, and Jacqueline Woodson, a National Book Award finalist for fiction last year for another Brooklyn. Really? And yeah, that's The true. Underground Railroad. That's Railroad. right. Duh. Well, yeah. Last year. Yeah, duh, duh, duh. That was huge. I don't know. What were, what were we thinking? I don't know what we were thinking at all. So the books on this list. Oh, oh, the books on this list. You can write them down if you care. Um, Dark at the Crossing by Elliot Ackerman. Okay, so the one that we are really excited about. <laughs> Let's just read through them and then... So, um, the next book is The King is Always Above the People, colon, Stories by Danielle Alacon. Oh, nice. Um, the next is Miss Burma by Charmaine Craig. Is she black? Uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like I've never met a white Charmaine, so she very could, well could be. Let me find out. Well, <laughs> um, wrong on both counts. She's Asian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, duh, Miss Burma. Um, Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan have you ever read any Jennifer Egan what else she write Uh, Visit from the Goon Squad no this sounds like this podcast episode with you and Brandon I don't know these people that's what I read from her and I was expecting a lot and I maybe it just wasn't for me Um, I've seen this cover Um, before if that counts for anything (laughs) (laughs) The Leavers by Lisa Coe uh, Pachinko by Minjin Lee. I have her heard. body and go ahead. I have heard of the Leavers. That's actually on my TBR. Me too. Okay. Um, her body and other party stories. Carmen Maria Machado. Uh, a kind of freedom. Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. Sing and buried sing by Jasmine Ward the Queen and Barren Island by Carol Zoreff. So I'm excited. I'm going to read the ones that I was already going to read and probably not the rest. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm probably going to read uh, Pachinko and A Kind of Freedom, um, but I don't know if I'm going to read any of the others. Maybe Miss Burma. We'll see. Miss Burma looks lit, actually. But I don't know. I have a lot of feelings. A lot. <laughs> right now. Um, can I? Okay, go ahead. Is that it? Way to go. Yeah, that's it. So we're rooting. We're pulling for the ladies, specifically the black lady, and then also the Asian ladies, and then <laughs> the white ladies. I think there's two black ladies. That's a lot of ladies. So that's good. 
I feel like Issa, when they were like, Issa, who are you rooting for? She was like, um, <laughs> all the black people. <laughs> <laughs> That's real, though. I mean, so, like, ain't no need to lie. My hierarchy, my hierarchy is always the black woman, then the black people, then a minority woman, then the minority people, then the white woman, then white people. And that's no shade to white people, but y'all know y'all are probably going to win. So we might as well put our creative, I mean, our <laughs> spiritual energy. People were really in their feelings about that, but that's just how it is. I'm sorry. I don't know how else, what else to tell y'all. <laughs> it could be Jeopardy. Institutional racism. Jeopardy, okay. <laughs> Wheel of Fortune. Uh, Family Feud. <laughs> bowling. <laughs> Shop. <laughs> it don't matter. It do not matter. <laughs> Blacks, other black women, black men, other minorities, white women, white men. That's it. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I ain't sorry at all. It's just the the way of the world. It's the world's hierarchy in reverse. So as as Celine Dion once sang, and that's the way it is. is. I mean, there is no explanation needed. It's not racist. It's just the way it is. Okay. Um, is that all the news? What a short. It's all the news. Ain't nothing popping that we care about in the book world because we ain't got no news. That was enough. That was enough. I feel like we've had very long news segments recently, and so that was a cute little cut and dry news situation. <clears throat> Dear God. So, so we read a book, guys. And we are going to discuss that book. So if you have not read Sing, Unburied Sing, you may want to shut this down right now because we're about to get into it. Mm, so guys, we read Sing, Unburied Sing. Most of it. I did. So I'll read the blurb. <laughs> I'm going to read the, the, not blurb, the synopsis, which this is my very first time reading the synopsis. So this should be interesting because I didn't read it before starting the book because I was like, oh, it's Jasmine Ward. Like, I don't even care what the synopsis is. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> so um, it says, in Jasmine Ward's first novel since her National Book Award winning Salvage the Bones, this singular American writer brings the archetypal road novel into rural 21st century America. Drawing on Morrison and Faulkner, The Odyssey and the Old Testament, Ward gives us an epochal story, a journey through Mississippi, past and present, that is both intimate that is both an intimate portrait of family and an epic tale of hope and struggle. Ward is a major American writer, multiply awarded and universally lauded, and in Sing Unburied Sing, she's at the height of her powers. Jojo and his toddler sister Kayla live with their grandparents, Mam and Pop, and the occasional presence of their drug addicted mother Leone on a farm on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. Leonie is simultaneously tormented and comforted by visions of her dead brother, which only come to her when she's high. Ma'am is dying of cancer, and quiet, steady Pop tries to run the household and teach Jojo how to be a man. When the white father of Leonie's children is released from prison, she packs her kids and a friend into her car and sets off across the state for Parchment Farm, the Mississippi State Penitentiary, on a journey rife with danger and promise. Sing and Very Sing grapples with the ugly truths at the heart of the American story and the power and limitations of the bonds of family. Rich with war's distinctive musical language, Sing and Buried Sing is a majestic new work and essential contribution to American literature. What an appropriate synopsis. 
And by appropriate, I, I mean this long and wordy. Reading the book. <laughs> oh my god, you guys! I don't. Well, tell me your thoughts. So I feel like I may reread this book six or seven years from now, and it may affect me in a different way. <laughs> Six or seven years. God dang. I just need some space. I just need some space. I didn't dislike it because the writing is just freaking beautiful. But I don't think I was in the headspace to read this and to really absorb it. I probably missed like a ton of allusions and connections and deep literary devices being employed in a myriad of ways. But um the story at the heart of it is intriguing but a lot of it got muddled in a lot of what I deem to be unnecessary details and um I wasn't too fond of the ghost boy narrator so so I should tell you that I initially got this book on audio okay because Rutina Wesley is reading the Leone chapters and some dude I don't know who's an audiobook um guy is reading Jojo and uh Pop and mm. Michael. But nevertheless, I got an audiobook because I was like, oh maybe I'll try giving fiction an audiobook another try. Um and I got through like the first chapter and a half and I was like, no, nah, sis, you finna have to go read this because it was a lot happening and it was too much to absorb orally and I needed to absorb it visually. Girl. So I didn't like it. <laughs> That's all I <laughs> oh, All right. So God. do we want to... Do we want to like talk about characters? That's the only that way because it wasn't the yeah. plot, and it and it wasn't a, a, a progression that is like easily followed. It was so, very disjointed. I think that was a part of my issue with it too. Okay, so can we spend a little time on the characters, and then I have I have my own notes. Okay, <laughs> I have notes. I'm glad you took notes because I did not. They're more like gripes. <laughs> okay. All right. Res- respect. Respect. All right. So do we want to start with Jojo since he's the first narrator jo- that kicks it off? Yeah. Jojo is 13. 13. Yeah. year old boy who lives in rural, Missi- rural the Gulf Coast. Is it Mississippi? Yeah. Um, and with his mother, with his grandparents and his sister, mostly. Um, I say mostly because his parents are kind of, well, his dad is not kind of out. He is out to jail. And, um, and the mother, his mother is sort of, she just kind of does her own thing because she has a drug problem and she's kind of all about the, her man and her drugs and whatever else. And so, um, he, they have a, he has a sister, these, um, him and his sister, his sister, Kayla is three years old. They are biracial. Their mother is black and their father is white. Um, Jojo is like all about his um, sister and he really, really loves his grandparents, specifically his grandpa. He calls him pop and he is trying to teach him how to be a man. Um, just being a father to him, a role model, etc. And he's a sweet kid. 
um, very protective of his sister, very distrusting and rightfully so of his parents. And that's all there. That's all that I have to say about Jojo. Yeah. So, um, I thought he was a sweet kid, but his voice seemed way too mature for his lived experience. Like I understand that the abandonment of parents, um, can force some children to grow up a bit more rapidly than others, but he also did not seem as emotionally stable or mature as his like internal dialogue reflected. Yeah. And see, but I thought that was a flaw in the writing. Um, and it might've been intentional. Maybe she just didn't care. And that was her creative license. But I just felt like, but I just felt like all of the characters voices were beyond their maturity level, their intelligent level, intelligence level, at least the way she wrote them. You know, some of the words that they were using, the way that they spoke to each other, I just had an issue with it because it sounded off. Like it sounded off for the setting um, in certain parts, not throughout the whole book, but it just, and I'm not just, I'm not saying that people in the South or poor people are inherently stupid or that they're not intelligent people that can speak well and that can, you know, have this sort of emotional depth. I'm just saying, I've never <laughs> seen it, seen people quite like this in my life. Um, and from the way that she kind of described their dynamics, mm-hmm. um, and like, especially like the, the, the grandfather's background and everything, right? So he um, went to jail fairly young. Um, and from what it seemed like, the jail was actually a working farm. So it wasn't like he went in there and was like, in the library becoming the next like Elijah Muhammad or something, you know, like most of these niggas put the jail down to, you know. Like he was performing like backbreaking labor. So I wouldn't think that he would have had the time to necessarily like study and um but what I did appreciate about Pop actually and I'm kinda switching characters I'm talking about, but what I appreciated about him is that he was the most consistent and steady character. Um throughout the entire narrative. Like I feel like the pop in the beginning was the same pop at the end. Um, whereas Jojo, I felt like he grew increasingly more immature, but the progression seemed just off. Like it seemed in contrast to the events he endured and like you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't know like, if I'm putting it into words correctly. It was like what bothered me about, like, I think I had sent you a message and I was like, this dialogue is killing me because it wasn't, it just didn't make any sense. Like the way the people talk, the way they interact, the way they process things didn't make any sense. And I don't know um, this part of the country. So I'm not, I don't think it had anything to do with that though. Like I maybe... I think that Jojo was a little flat in some, and for a lot of the book, you know? And so it didn't make some of these, like maybe if she had made him, and I know this would have been cliche, but like a kid who read a lot to escape his situation, it would have made sense. Or I just, I don't know. It was something with the little boy that I was like. Didn't quite curl over for Did not (laughs) quite curl over for me. Uh, the other person in the book who didn't curl over for me was Ma. Ma. Is it Papa Ma? Ma'am. Ma'am. And the only reason is because, oh God, and maybe I didn't, 
the all of the scenes with her oh god this is not gonna go over well all the scenes with her seems like you know Cicely Tyson's characters and uh, <laughs> Tyler Perry Perry movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she seemed like to me like every time because it was never any like normal conversation as normal as you can be the the his grandmother has cancer right and so I didn't get the sense that there was any sort of like attempts to this was too far gone it felt very in the beginning at least like they were waiting for her to die like she was just still alive hanging on and then they attributed some of her her uh the progression of her cancer to the fact that she tried like holistic medicine for so long and never really went to get care um initially so I didn't really understand that either I was like is she going you know initially is she going through chemo or is she like on her way out or like what's wrong what's happening because they wrote she wrote her to be very like emaciated and um sickly you know she can't move she's in the bed whatever and then they it kind of flashes back two times before she got this bad but I just felt like everything was very like oh let me teach you how to mix up these herbs, herbs. <laughs> call, call on the different and deities so of the spirit world dear yeah. god but it was very and i mean there is a way to do that in a way i feel like it came out of left field here yeah there's a way to do that in a way that doesn't seem like a caricature and that's what she made this character and i was very surprised at that and i and I, i'll touch more on that whole element in a minute but um Leone was like, if you've ever watched Jerry Springer and wondered, where do these people come from? <laughs> Who lives like this? Um, she lives. Leone lives like this. <laughs> um, Leone is the mother of Kayla and Jojo. And she um, does, well, when we meet her, <laughs> she is bringing home a raggedy baby shower cake to her son. Is that the first time we see her? Yeah. Yep. And it was his birthday. And, she's, and she brought home a baby shower cake. Yeah. And she's very occupied with her her man, her white bae, uh, Michael, who is the kid's father, and he's in jail. Um, yep, hold on. So she um works at a bar and associates with white folks mostly, it seems like. Um, and she is a co Well, let's be clear, she associates with PWT. Right. So she has a problem. Uh, Coke seems like there's some meth in there. A little ecstasy probably, but mostly Coke and meth. Um, And she's just not very in tune with her mother, with her children. The thing I didn't like about this, and maybe I just was not feeling it or didn't get it or whatever, but I just was like, I don't understand why she's like this. Like, I don't, I don't think she was the most well-developed character. Mind you, I read this book in the form, we got this, and we should say that we should say this, um, uh, uh, an ARC from um, Simon Schuster through, or Scrivener through NetGalley. And I got it in that form. So I was like, well, maybe they, maybe she fixed this. So you tell, <laughs> did she fix it? Because... <laughs> I read the ARC too. Okay. And no. <laughs> like, 
I, I, so a lot of questions were left unanswered for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Leone was like obsessed with Michael in high school, I didn't understand why, because they had no interaction before his cousin killed her brother. So back up, tell the people about this. Oh yeah. So Leone has a brother named Given. Given is an athlete. Um, I don't remember what sport guy helped me. Okay. But so he's an athlete. He's like the only black boy on the team. Um, which is and he goes okay go ahead yeah so he goes on this hunting trip with some of the white boys from the team because he tells the white boy that he could kill this deer um, with a bow and arrow faster than the white boy can shoot it so you know of course they like oh no no you can't whatever so they set the trip they go um, they go to like this cabin or whatever they're hunting the deer in the woods given does in fact shoot the deer with the bow and arrow before the bullet reaches it and um as a result the white boy got mad and shot given and then they left him there to die they don't call the police instead they call their parents who then spin it into oh it was a hunting accident and that's how he died Mm -hmm. but they leave out the fact that they let his fucking body sit there and bleed out for God knows how long before actually taking action to do anything. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have to die, Mm -hmm. but these people willingly killed him. And so I don't know that if, Oh, um, I got to stop using the N word because I was going to say, I don't know if a white nigga killed my brother that I could be caking with his cousin. Like it just, I'm not, that kind of Christian is not me. Like the way my walk with the Lord is set up, um, that wouldn't happen. And it was so nonsensical to me because of the type of person that she was portrayed to be up to that point. Yeah. Um, it didn't seem like it would be within her character to, I don't know. It was odd. And it was like, nobody seemed to, nobody cared enough for my taste about that. It was weird. I mean, like, like I said, I don't know if these are like cultural things. <laughs> I didn't feel like it seems pretty universal that if you uh, kill my brother, I don't want nothing to do with y'all family. Um, and the way that he comes up to her and starts to, oh, my cousin is an idiot. And it was just like, okay, well, let's do this. <laughs> and it just didn't make any sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I would what? see if like, if she had wrote a scene where, you know, Michael had just went slap off on the whole family and like beat up his cousin and, uh, you know, just I'm done with it. Like, maybe I could see it, but it wasn't that. So then you go into the situation where the father, Michael's parents are calling like the daddy. They don't fool with her or her kids because they're black. She's afraid to call the house and he don't want to do with that. And I think this is might be a direct, direct quote that nigga and her have <laughs> three kids or something to that effect and i'm like sister ward what is happening in this book? <laughs> yeah i i didn't and i do this she does this um thing and i said this before when we reviewed men we reads is that i don't know if it's the poverty level or the style of writing or a combination of both but it makes it seem like it was written in the past 
like the, the you know the the past past not the 90s or whatever but it makes it seem like it was written a long time ago or the the setting is a long time ago and i just didn't understand that dynamic like i didn't understand what it was or why she was so how she was to her kids do we need to talk about michael um just one part that irked me about him mm-hmm. um so when they were coming home from the jail or whatever and uh, ma'am and pop weren't at home because oh so he get out of jail she drive across the states to go get him drive back home um, and they drive him back to go live at her parents house of course because as Tamika said his parents do not fool with her and her half breed children so they get back to the crib ma'am and pop ain't there I don't know why they couldn't just wait for ma'am and pop to get there. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, Michael is like, oh, let's just go to my parents' house. And <laughs> Leone says, no, nah, player, that ain't quite what I want to do. And he like, no, nah, let's just go. Let's just go. She like, I don't really think that that's wise. And he's like forcing the issue until she finally capitulates. And I just got really annoyed with that scene because I was like, I understand that there needed to be some sort of head on conflict between, you know, her, her kids and his parents or whatever at some point. But also don't fucking ask me to go to your parents' house when you've been locked away for Lord knows how long and they haven't even come to check on their grandchildren that have part of their DNA, part one, part two, they ain't care to give a hot nut fuck about us in 13 years because they've never even met Jojo at all. So like, what are we going to their house for? It's not going to be productive. We're not going to enrich our children's lives in any way. Like, why are you willfully putting my children's lives in danger? Because you don't want to wait for my mom and dad to get back. It's weird. That's what I'm saying. Like there was so much in this book that was, that just didn't make any sense to me that didn't follow any lines. And I, I almost processed it. Like, Oh, I got to a certain point. I was like, this is very indulgent. Like (laughs) she just said something about this book just made me mad almost. And it was because I felt like this. And I know we say this all the time, but it felt like this book wasn't for us. It felt like, it was very much um, let me kind of, it was kind of ham fisted, you know, in the mess, in the, in the themes, um, very dramatic in areas and spaces that it did not need to be dramatic. Like when they stopped over to the lady's house and picked up the, um, the, uh, the meth and um, her boy, her son was there and the son was playing with like for a minute there, I was like, okay, I can see this, you know, I can see that she set the scene, but what's going to happen? Nothing is going to happen. Like it was, he goes outside, he goes to pee, he goes around the back, he knows he's cooking, he comes back in the house, he does, and it was just like, what are, where are we going with this? But it was that kind of imagery. I almost felt like she made, she put the white people in the story to draw white people in the story. You know what I mean? Like white readers into it. Into the story. Um, and to make it relatable to them. And I mean, knowing Jasmine Ward, Ward, that probably was not her intention, but that's what it seemed like to me. Like you need to, you probably couldn't relate to this story if there were no white people in it. So (laughs) we gonna put some white people in it. I don't know. It was just strange to me. Like I just, 
It was strange to me. No? Yeah. It was I, it was off-putting to me. The it whole was. the whole interracial relationship thing would have been fine except I don't like the fact that it seems like these people are still they're racist and I don't I'm generally uncomfortable with black people being in relationships, family scenarios with white people who are racist. That is just uh-huh, uh-huh. weird to me. Like nothing about that. Willingly willingly placing themselves into a relationship where you know the hostility is and in this and in this context the hostility is like ratcheted up but ratcheted up because ratcheted up because somebody has actually died because these people were they racist killed your fucking brother his bloodline killed your bloodline like they that kind how, of racist how and they it wasn't like Leonie and Michael were together or had some sort of connection prior to and then this happened because then I probably could have bought okay she was already into him into deep but they didn't even have a connection prior to and I think that's what pissed me off because I'm like how like stupid and self-serving are you that you can just wipe the slate clean i don't care if he didn't pull the trigger he was right there next to the one who did so how are you and continues to put you and your children in that in harm's way yeah i just i didn't get it it was bad enough all by itself and then you throw in the drug element which i'm you know it's probably realistic to an extent but it was so at that point the racism was bad enough like the extreme poverty was depressing enough and now they own that shit and so it was just like (laughs) i just and then okay so they're reading the the book i mean as i'm reading this book i started to like think of i just made a list and it's like the parents sad dark white ghosts morris in comparison child neglect So, like, with her parents, with the parents, like, the mother could have been dead already. And I know that sounds terrible, but they could have just went, she could have went ahead and just made her dead. Why not? Why not make her dead and make her a ghost? Like, since she's doing that. Because she didn't contribute anything to the story. And I felt like the whole aspect of, like, I don't even know what to call what they were doing, but, like, the Grigri bag and, like, you know, the calling on the ancestors and the spells and potions and things of that nature was so undercooked for me right and I'm like if you're gonna put that in a book you have to fully commit to it and I think I don't know if this is just my ignorance and not being familiar with um any areas outside of like Louisiana or like the Geechee area of like South Carolina Mm -hmm. where people are really into these things that I would have never put that on the Mississippi Gulf Coast I mean I know that that ain't far from Louisiana but it's not something that I associate with that area. So if you were going to add those elements, I'm going to need you to like fully commit to it. Right. And so that was where I was like the Toni Morrison comparison bothered me because I kept reading that in the reviews on Goodreads. And it was bothering me because this ain't that. And Toni Morrison goes there. You know, she goes into this kind of magical realism um, story but she lives there. Like, you know what I mean? Like she commits to it. It's part of the story. It's so entwined and and embedded in her, not just her, not just in one book, but her body of work. Like she does that. So it's not, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like, okay, for instance, in this book, it felt like two different stories, two different books that were kind of forced together. 
you know, you've got this really good, actually, you know, could have potentially really good Southern kind of Southern Gothic story. And then you've got this magical realism, you know, Southern magical realism, you know, story. And they kind of kind of crash in the middle, you know, midway through this book. I mean, there's a little bit at the beginning, but then it kind of ratchets up. And then, but you think of a story like Song of, mm, Song of Solomon or Paradise. Paradise, where those things just, I don't know if it's a skill, like if it's a writing skill thing or if it's, I don't know, but with Toni Morrison's, it's more seamless. They're very much a part of each other's worlds where this seems maybe, maybe, I don't know. It was something that was, there was an element missing that maybe it's, it has to be skill because she made it. So Toni Morrison makes it so seamless where this was a lot more choppy with the, um, with the ghost involvement and maybe because they didn't interact with them. I don't know. It was, I know it can be done, but it wasn't done well here to me. Yeah, it was strange. So like the whole thing with Richie, the ghost boy. It was distracting. I was like, Oh, Richie. It was. And I, I I was, I don't know. And my brain went to life. When they were talking about the camp, that's not funny, but the camp, <laughs> the work camp, like, I feel like there was some conversation. There was supposed to be a message about, like, um, the prison industrial complex even back then and the racism. Like, I got it. But it just felt like, oh, a work farm life. And then it wasn't serious to me anymore because I'm terrible. But you going to eat your cornbread. <laughs> um. yeah, I'm going to eat my cornbread. <laughs> it was just clumsy and I don't I don't know I she doesn't live here Judgment Ward does not live <laughs> in those two she I don't know I just didn't like it I felt the family ghosts distracting they were not they didn't improve the story they didn't make the story they didn't even necessarily contribute to the story in any way that I was interested in no not they at all I was were, expecting I was expecting the fact that her brother was haunting her to play a bigger role in like her getting her life together. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. It does not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was expecting the whole thread with the ghost boy narrator to like reveal some larger truth about life at some point. Um, it didn't. Spoiler alert, it does not. Um, so when Kayla was sick, okay. Kayla was sick almost half of the book <laughs> and three quarters of the book. <laughs> she was sick on this road trip. And when she said she saw the birds, I thought Kayla was about to die. Me too. I didn't want the baby to die, but it would have made more sense than, than it did. And speaking of Kayla, so Girl. I know that the, 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 uh, that ma'am had said that like the powers in their family skipped every third generation how i didn't understand that because at first it was like oh they skip a generation but then it was ma'am leone jojo and kayla who all had some sort of power either they could see they could (laughs) they had visions of permanent you know what i mean so i was confused i was like does it skip or can everybody just have the powers i don't know i'm confused but then the end of the book oh you didn't finish it (laughs) Go ahead and tell it, because I'm not going to. Um, the end of the book or whatever, um, shoot. It was, uh, so Richie, when he said, oh, you know, if Pop tells the story, then I'll be free to, you know, like, move on to the other side. That did not happen. 
Um, and essentially Kayla was the one who ended up having the power to send his soul to the other side. Dear God. I, Why? I, it was, it was weird. Like, Why? I want to pull it up, actually, um, and it's going to take me a little minute because my computer is moving a little slow. I just really am um, mad at this. Um, while you're pulling that up, I'm upset because the book blur made it seem like it was going to be like an odyssey. Like, I thought, oh, yeah. You know, you read books about, like, road trips or adventures, yep, and they stop over here, and something crazy happens, and they stop over there, something funny happens. Yeah, come I thought it was going to be more about the journey to Parchment Farm than about whatever it was about. Yeah, it was nonsense. And then... All right. I feel... Okay, so, go ahead. <laughs> so, um, we get to the point where, at the end of the book, um, there... Uh, is like a whole big thing where ma'am dies right so given mm-hmm. comes in the room he's trying to get her to come with him richie is also trying to take her soul but i think that he has like some sort of dark forces with him not quite sure given overpowers richie he helps ma'am transition to the other side then after that um like you know life goes on they're trying to get back together and um, in order to help cope with the loss of ma'am, Jojo starts taking walks like late at night or whatever. So one night he's in the fields behind the house and like all of these uh, ghosts are um, in some tree, right? Mm-hmm. So all these ghosts start like speaking to him. So... Um, it says they speak with their eyes. He raped me and suffocated me until I died. I put my hands oh, up yeah, and shot right. me. Da, 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 da. Right. And so um, then, you know, Pop and Kayla come out there. Pop is like, we were worried about you. Da, 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 da. Um, and so then Pop is holding Kayla and she's like squirming in his arms. She's trying to get down. She's trying to get down. And Pop is like, no. And Kayla's like, no, nah, my G, like, I need to get down. You know, she's three. <laughs> but you know he finally lets her down and so it says she um toddles past me unsteady on the dark ground she faces the tree nose up to the air head tilted back to see her eyes michaels her nose leonis the set of her shoulders pops and the way she looks up upward like she's measuring the tree all ma'am but something about the way she stands the way she takes all the pieces of everybody and holds them together is all her kayla go home she says the ghosts judder but they do not leave they sway with open mouths again kayla raises one arm in the air palm up like she's trying to soothe casper but the ghosts don't still don't rise don't ascend don't disappear they stay so kayla begins to sing a song of mismatched half garbled words nothing that i can understand only the melody which is low but is still as loud as the swish and sway of the trees that cuts their whispering. Da, 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 da. She sings louder. The multitude of ghosts lean forward, nodding. They smile with something like relief, something like remembrance, something like ease. <laughs> so I don't know what supernatural powers Kayla had in her song. Do you think it was the fever she got that made her? Um... No, I think that. Um, the magic was always in her, so to speak. <laughs> magic is yeah, in that yeah. one. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't, girl. 
You guys, it was so hard. It was so hard to read it. It was so many adjectives. That's the other thing. That was the other thing. The right. Okay. First, before I get into the writing, I want to say that I felt a way about the child neglect in this book. I do not read books about children who are being mistreated. I don't walk into those scenarios and I'd like to know in advance if the kids are going to be mistreated. And I was starting to get pissed when they're on the road trip and the child is burning up and she's throwing up water and she's throwing up Gatorade and she's throwing up for hours. And these clowns are just like, well, uh, give us some more Gatorade. I was like, I wanted to shoot everybody. Tell her drink a little more. Tell her drink. What? No. You didn't feed your children. Like, ma'am, the the YD is not that good that you can't stop and get your babies some food. Like he's thirsty. I'm thirsty. Can I get a Coke? And she's like, bring me back no, my change. Bring my change. You witch. Like I just was so mad at these people. Then when they got to the house after traveling all day and the baby's throwing up sick, they get to the lawyer's house and he asks, oh, I've been cooking. I made spaghetti or whatever. Do you guys want to eat? No, we not hungry. What? I girl, do you understand that at that point I would have applauded Jojo if been, he was like, "Bitch, don't speak for me in my, in my stomach." Like, slap me, because I'm gonna feel like I guess I'm just getting slapped I'm getting today because I'm gonna eat these spaghetti. Breads, in fact, to um, you got any genie kind of Kool Aid there? Red? I love a red Kool Aid. Yes, I would like that. I was so angry. Like, who wants? The stuff was already depressing and sad enough. And it was like, there was no, she made this woman. That was the other thing. Like, I understand that she was troubled for whatever reason I really didn't connect with, but she had drug problems. She loved this man, whatever. But that does not always mean that you are, you might be a neglectful parent when you're in the midst of your addiction, but that doesn't mean that you ain't got no damn common sense and you just going to starve your kids because you stupid. Like it just didn't make any, like it was too far out there. And I'm sure, I know it's probably realistic on a lot of levels. I know there are people that behave like this, but it was just too many things happening in this book for me to be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like I can see, I can see somebody put taking their kids on an eight-hour road trip and not feeding them. Like I just, it didn't make any. It was, it was dumb. And then the car's hot, you hot, everybody's hot, but you didn't think for a second your kids would want something to drink. A cool, cool. Especially the vomiting one. <laughs> like, like she eventually gave her power aid, but I'm like, bitch, it ain't a Walgreens. <laughs> you could go get the babies. No medicine. You couldn't stop at the CVS and get some Pedialyte for the baby. Like she losing all her electrolytes with all this vomiting, but you just ain't got nothing for her. And that's what made me so angry too. Because I mean, that's what made me feel like the book was written in a different time. Because I was like, I know they're in the rural south. I get that. But I've been in the rural south. There is a Walgreens. There is a wall. If it ain't nothing else, there's a Walmart. So I know you could have stopped and got your baby something for her stomach if you so so much as kind of maybe possibly cared. It was just weird. It was it was too far out there. But the other thing with the writing that really like made me annoyed was that she kept using so Kayla is three and she wrote this like she don't know no three-year-olds because I kept processing Kayla as being like one close to two like yeah somewhere between like 18 months old and then to hear she was three it was like she was and maybe it was because of the neglect maybe she was a you know underdeveloped child because of her parents habits I don't know 
but it was very, I shouldn't say underdeveloped, delayed, delayed, developed. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But I just felt like she was, she didn't write her very well. And then I was like, if she grabbed, if, if she writes this line, this will see, this will be familiar to you. I picked up Kayla and she grabbed my shirt and <laughs> and buried her face in my neck in my shoulder. I was like, this. <laughs> if Kayla climbs up on his head and runs her hands through his hair one more time. I'm like, my kids are like, maybe my kids are abnormally tall, but I'm just like, this girl is moving. Like she she is awfully you know, agile for a three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just that kind of like repetitive motion. And I, and, and part of me was like, well, maybe that's just, she's just trying to get across that This is how close they are. This is how they soothe, you know, how she soothes herself or whatever with her brother. But it was very crazy. Um, Michael, he didn't jump on her, on, on Leonie's ass enough for my taste. Cause I'm sorry. Even the stupidest man, the hard, the craziest criminal would be like, bitch, you don't feel this baby got 108 temperature. Is there something wrong with you? Like, oh, she cool. She just got your uh, car sickness. I was really angry about the child neglect in this book. I know that that was the least of the. <laughs> so I was also angered by how quickly Michael jumped on board to like trying to discipline the kids. Right. Bruh, you ain't been here in three years. Like. Say hello. And, like, how you gonna get mad that the baby don't, you know, you? she wasn't even born when you went down, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> what you think she was gonna be like, oh, hey, daddy. How you doing? Like, daddy. Yeah. White man, and she probably ain't seen no white people because she been living with her black ass family. Like, what? Girl. I just... I, the 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 writing was really good, of course. I mean, Jasmine Ward is very talented, very skilled writer. I think, of course, that's the thing that kind of saves this book. But in a way, it was it got to be too much, and that's what I meant by it being indulgent. Like, you pick a passage in this book, and it is just wordy and beautifully written, very poetic. But sometimes it's like, girl, it's just a it's just a cup. <laughs> like it's okay, <laughs> it's okay if it's just a cup you know that's fine and it was so it was some it was a little bit overkill for me I think that Toni Morrison is a person that writes poetically but her writing is so um it's so clean and also so full at the same time and I'm not trying to compare Jasmine Ward to Toni Morrison I'm just responding to the comparisons to Toni Morrison if that makes sense um I think Toni Morrison is just a is a cleaner it she does this in a little bit a little bit more clean uh, way, prose, I should say. But I don't know. Like, I felt like this isn't the same lady who wrote and we read. Like, this is extra. Yeah, it seems different. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> so those were our thoughts on singing. Well, do it. You do it. Look, do with that information what, what you, you will. What you will. If you um, have read it, though, I am interested to know... Um, other people's reactions or feedback to it um if you were a, if you really are a Jasmine Ward fan um or if you had never read and this is your first time reading or if you somehow are not a Jasmine Ward fan um I am interested in all perspectives and how they feel about this book because I 
just really feel like, you know, this went a long way and helped me unpack a lot of my feelings about it. But maybe we can commiserate a bit more. People really like this book on the Internet. I mean, and let me just one more thing really quick so we don't go way too long. But I really am tired of black literary books, darling books, loved books, well-regarded, whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm really tired of them being negative. And I know that literary fiction is inherently like dramatic, et cetera, et cetera. But it's all like, that was another thing I think I didn't, I kind of went into this like excited because it was Jasmine Ward. But then when I started to feel like get the sense of the book, as I started to read it, I was like, oh, I'm not feeling this. Like, I don't feel this. (laughs) I'm I don't want to go here. Like, I don't want to be sad. I don't want to hear about tragedy. I don't want to hear about death. I don't want to read about drug use and racism. And I just, like, it was burdensome to read because of the subject matter. Like, I'm tired. The world itself, the nonfiction real ass world itself is so full of this nonsense. that I just, I wasn't in the right, like you said, the headspace to read to really judge this book fairly i can say that because i was like girl i don't wanna (laughs) just don't wanna yep and can we get a black literary darling that is not a tragedy or ghost because the turner house had ghosts too yeah and the mothers (laughs) did the mothers have ghosts uh no but it had tragedy (laughs) it's just like it's just dead people and ghosts dead people ghosts dead mothers dead children neglected children poverty broken dreams and racism like i'm tired (laughs) (laughs) so that's where i'm gonna read your book next nobody dies in it do they no ma'am books are shiny happy and fluffy and there's a little bit of strife but it's not even nothing that's gonna make you like clutch your pearls all right i'm into it you guys please do not dis- <laughs> that's what this during uh, sing um swing time too. Uh don't let us discourage you from reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, like don't. Um because like we've both said we probably weren't in the right frame of mind to uh I don't even know how to properly say it. Um receive whatever this book Mm -hmm. was trying to give us um so we could very well read it in six seven years and be like okay actually i was wrong that time that i reviewed it on better in the movie i now understand i see what's going on here aha but in this moment currently it's not quite you know cha-cha to the left and then we tried to cha-cha to the right but we couldn't quite it's old luther can't get it. Oh, look. Can't get right. Can't get right. Oh, <laughs> oh, not the curl. Just <laughs> didn't. Um, but I think that's important too. Context and where you are. Like right now, I am in a spiritually grounded, trying to focus on the positive, you know, kind of place. And so this was just, it, it might have been bad timing. I don't think so because I know me. And if it, if the, if you reading the, the, the summary, the synopsis makes me go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Jesus. <laughs> I am mentally tired then. Maybe not, but I don't know. I definitely go read read it just for the um, you know, black girl magic of it all cuz Jasmine Ward is a boss and she's an excellent writer. Um, even though we didn't this is not my favorite of hers. Agreed. Agreed. 
y'all, we've come to the most exciting portion of the show. <laughs> what are you reading? Um, so I am navigating to my Kindle app right now to see what I am reading. Um, oh, I'm not reading anything. <laughs> What you about to read? <laughs> my sick of you, girl. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm going to read. I have this book that I've been wanting to read since it came out in like February, but I just haven't gotten around to it because there are so many dots on my little Kindle app. So that tells me that it is a very long book. Um, right. It's called How to Murder Your Life by Kat Marnell. I think I've talked about it on the show before. It's a memoir yeah. uh, about a crazy drug addicted white girl who managed to become like the managing beauty editor at uh, Jane, XO Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been really putting it off. I heard it was good though, and I want to read that soon, but I probably won't read it until like November. <laughs> I know. That's cool. What are you reading? Uh-huh. The word of God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm dead serious. I um, have not been reading that much. Um, I have been reading this. I have a friend who is, you know, a Christian and she's been kind of turning me on to some of these like apologetics, you know? Okay. Do you know, do you know them? No. Um, and so there are books by apologetics and they kind of focus on, um, how can I put this? The logic, the justification of uh, like religious doctrine, doctor, doctrine, doctrine, right? So like the not the 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 logical explanation for you know using science to justify using history to justify. So those type of explanations, and I'm really like. I, that I'm kind of in a nonfiction season, I think. And so um, there was a book that we agreed to read together. Hold on. It's called, <laughs> I am not prepared, but I'm about to start reading it. She recommended it. And I was like, okay, I'll read it with you. It's called Who Made God and Answers to Over a Hundred Other Tough Questions of Faith by Ravi Zacharias and Norman Geisler. Okay. So I'm about to start that. And then, um, yeah, that's it. I lied. I just realized that I am reading something, but I'm not reading it, reading it. And so that's why I didn't remember. <laughs> I'm listening to um, Hillary's What Happened on audiobook. Oh, okay. Y'all gonna have to. <laughs> I, will, I want to read that, but I don't want to read it. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I feel like. I'm putting down. I feel like it's too soon. Too soon, Hill. But um, I probably will read it eventually. Anyway, you guys are, oh, you know what, y'all? I'm going to tell y'all this, and then y'all can talk to me about it on Twitter. I met the first black person I have ever met who has never heard of Maze featuring Frankie Beverly. What? And you know who I'm talking about if you just think about it. (laughs) It was at work. (laughs) So, yeah. That was exciting. Let's talk about it in my in the Twitter and on the tweet. Please, because it's funny about this. Because I am aghast. <laughs> I know I was too. Anyway, thank you all for joining us. We will pick another book, hopefully one that we can get with, and we will talk about it next time. 
Um, hopefully, I would like to record sooner than later uh, because I know what's coming. My birthday, mm-hmm. Christmas, Thanksgiving, and then y'all won't hear from us <laughs> for a minute. Did it get real? So I think we should try to record again soon, maybe once or twice before the holidays. Yeah, anyway. I have to just store some up. Yeah. Y'all keep it real. Don't let the bastards get you down. Amen. Have a good week. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.